0: Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Ullman and Jack Caliber. The ULC envisions a future in which all congregations fully equip the priesthood of all believers through world-class leadership development at the local level. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church and a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at UniteLeadership.org. This is Lead Time.
1: Welcome to Lead Time time. Tim Allman here with Jack Kalberg, and it Mm -hmm. is a beautiful day. I pray that the love and care and support that comes first from Jesus and then from your local congregation is inspiring you uh, in whatever vocation you have (laughs) as a wife or mother, husband, father out into our community or maybe happen to be uh, a church worker in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, whatever that that role, vocation is, we pray that the podcast today gives you hope, gives you joy, gives you clarity, and maybe a little bit of challenge as we get to chat with a new brother that I just got the chance to meet, connected by one of our teachers in our school, uh, met, and I, I'm going to get this name right, Joel Landskroner. Did I get that right?
2: Close, Lance Craner.
1: Oh, that's Craner. Oh, shoot. I should have just asked before we got going. Joel, uh, Mr. Lance Craner serves as executive director at Mayor Lutheran High School in Mayor, Minnesota, suburb of the Twin Cities. B.S. in secondary education uh, with majors in social studies, physical education from Concordia College in Seward, Nebraska. Go Bulldogs and an M.A. in American history from the University of Maryland. Uh, and then an M.S. in school administration from Johns Johns Hopkins. I've heard of that place. That's a pretty legit university, uh, Mr. Lance Sc- Sc- Scroner? No. Craner. Craner. Lance Craner. Why am I having a hard time? I got to write that down. Call me um, Joel, please. Joel, yes. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Serving in schools in Florida, Maryland, Indiana, Minnesota, uh, many, many boards. And the reason that that Mr. Stevens from our school said, we got to talk with you, Joel is that uh, you had an awesome presentation on stewardship. You've done a lot in development work as well. So tell us a little bit more of your ministry story and how you fell in love with the topic of, of stewardship. Thanks so much for joining us today on Lead Time, Joel.
2: Well, thank you, Tim.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm a pastor's
2: kid, one of five boys. Uh, four of my brothers are church workers. One's a pastor. Three are actually principals or heads of Lutheran schools, myself included. One's an attorney, no idea what happened there. And we, um, you know, raised raised uh, almost, you know, from, well, from infancy in the church and as church work family, as married a pastor's daughter, you know, um, and when you're in church work, uh, stewardship is part and parcel of what you do. I mean, uh, it's kind of hard to, to not be a part of it, you know, especially in our situation, unfortunately, in too many situations in the church, you know, pastor wasn't paid very well, so... Being uh, learning to be thrifty and frugal, and at the same time being generous, um, were things that just kind of I was raised with. And um, then when I became a teacher, as history teacher, uh, uh, athletic director at a Lutheran School of Miami, Florida, and uh, one of the first things I had to do was get sports uniforms, and we didn't have any money, so I did a walkathon. Right, get to figure out some way to raise money. And we raised enough money to buy uniforms. And from that time on, I've just kind of been involved in, you know, kind of raising money, but also more so figuring out ways to uh, to best use that uh, and to be the best steward of that, and to bring people in to be partners in the in the ministry uh, with their giving. And I came, went to Baltimore and ended up uh, kind of getting into the fundraising business there because we needed somebody. That's a typical school story, right? They need somebody. There's a teacher.
3: <laughs> I guess he could
2: do this, and um, just. Learned it from there, and then uh, my first administrative job was to start a Lutheran high school in Seymour, Indiana, from literally from a cornfield. And there, it's all about advancement work and connecting people with their dreams and visions and their resources to the the vision of the ministry. And uh, was there uh, six years. Got the high school going, and then I got the uh, the nod here to come to Mary, Minnesota, and work with a school that was quite older and had um, a lot of needs, and so. Uh, I would say I've kind of like most people in fundraising, I've just kind of stumbled into that world and and learned I actually kind of like it. Mm.
1: So, Mr. Lance Craner. Yes, I got that right. right. (laughs) Finally, uh, Mr. Lance Craner, Joel. uh, A lot of pastors may struggle with talking about resources, we realize Jesus actually talks about resources more than any other topic in the Bible. And yet the percentage of times that pastors have to do once a year money stewardship sermon, you know, um, how do you help pastors, any kind of leader who really bristles has a robust fear about talking about resources with God's people? What words of wisdom would you give to them? Oh boy. For me to tell a pastor what to do. Wow. Um, we need help. You know, man. We need a lot of help.
0: <laughs>
2: I'll tell you what, it's not just pastors, it's everybody. I mean, people always say to me, Joel, don't you have any fear of asking for money? And the reality of it is, first of all, a guy told me a long time ago, if you ever ask for money, you always have a job. you are not afraid to do it. You always have a job. The two biggest fears is public speaking and asking for money. And if you can overcome those two, a guy with limited skills, he can, he can stay employed his whole life. And so that's kind of how I've gotten there. Good point. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not afraid to speak and I'm not afraid to ask for money. And, and the reality is, you know, for pastors, they're in a tough situation as opposed to like, I'm the head of a school, right. Or college or a hospital or whatever. Uh, because, you know, they've got so many, just um, so many things demanded of them. And, and especially, you know, ultimately to preach, to preach and teach the word and word sacrament ministry. That's what pastors do. But um, And so I, I think the tough thing on that is a lot of pastors want to make sure that they're, they're preaching a the law and gospel, that they're bringing the scripture to people, that, that uh, the gospel has its chance to work. And too many people, I think, look at the idea of stewardship as more law-oriented than gospel-oriented. Uh, you know, when I grew up, we had a, uh, and our kids have heard this a thousand times in our household, you know, thriftiness is not a virtue generosity is a virtue. Hmm. And nowhere in Scripture is thriftiness, as far as I know, and if you guys, if anybody wants to call in and let me know, I'd be glad to, you know, correct this. But nowhere in Scripture that I know of is thriftiness held up as a virtue. It's mm-hmm. held up as a as uh, something, you know, m- worth noting, like in the feeding of the 5,000, they picked up leftovers, right? Probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, in the uh, you know, in the Passover, you know, they, they ate and, and, you know, left and did what they had to do in order to, you know, even manna, you know, you had to collect manna for the day. Uh, don't try to save it. Don't try to, you know, because it's going to spoil on you. But nowhere in scripture do we find anything that says uh, thriftiness or frugality is a virtue. It, it's it, only scripture talks about generosity. Uh, I'm actually thinking
3: about the parable where Jesus talks about the wealthy man who keeps building barns. Right? Yeah. He just well, I just got to, you know, and he's being thrifty, right? He's... He is investing in his business and growing it, but he just keeps building bigger and bigger barns.
2: Right. Um, yeah. To, to one is to one one more
3: wealth. You're right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely. Right. And so I think pastors, um, I think pastors struggle with that because it seems to be so unidimensional. Right. I'm giving a sermon on stewardship. That means it's time to give the money. And frankly, I don't know if I can how you can preach on anything in Scripture for too long of time before you come across the issue of stewardship. I mean, there's over 2,000 verses in Scripture that deal specifically with money and with giving and with generosity. 2,000. Christ, uh, 40% of his parables involves something to do with you know vineyards or business or what have you, uh, and so you almost can't escape that. Um, but again, I do think I do think there's been a common situation in so many places where the sewership sermon happens in late November when they're getting their budget ready to start in January. Uh, instead of having it be part and parcel of all of the the teachings of Scripture that we have in, uh, you know, that come from the pulpit each Sunday, uh, especially if you are in our church that follows the pericopes. Uh, you almost you can't avoid talking about stewardship. I would say in a third to half of the peace in some way, shape, or form, uh, because yeah. again, God's generosity is what Christ's death on the cross is all about, right? Uh, <laughs> while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, and um, He lavished His love on us, right? And John, He didn't just give it to us. So I, I think thinking of the the generosity of God and the generosity yeah. that He's given to us. Uh, is what would drive me if I was a pastor and preaching uh, as I look at various, uh you know, the various passages of Scripture. And obviously, you, you don't necessarily want to talk about it every Sunday, but I certainly think it's, you know, it can be more naturally incorporated yeah. than just saying, all right, the budget's due, we better do a stewardship sermon this week.
1: Yeah, no, that's um, I wish so I had good. a better
2: a better answer for your question. You know, from no, the there's there.
1: no, that's a perfect, it's a perfect <laughs> response. And if Jesus speaks about it, we get to speak about it too. And yeah. His yoke is easy, His burden is light. He owns it all. I love that you reference. We have a God who is generous with us. That's where it flows from. This is how it's mm-hmm. gospel-y, right? Is God so loved the world that He gave his only son who right. then gave his very life and there's joy on the other side who for the joy set before him endured the cross scoring and shame is seated now as re- resurrected and reigning one at the right hand of God he he owns it all and and the fact the audacity that we get to be a part time talent and treasure in, in the in the expanding the kingdom of God and bringing people to a saving knowledge of the <laughs> of the risen one i mean it's 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 bonkers man i mean and i think yeah. we work past we work past uh the fear through stories, right? How do new new skills get developed? It's trying something, getting feedback, and then realizing that wasn't that bad. You know, people actually gave me good feedback and people actually believe the scriptures and want to hear me talk about the full counsel of of God. And and I, I just go back to stories like this past Sunday, one of our one of our longtime members whose bride um, just went to be. His name is Ivan. His wife's name is is Lois. She just went to be with, with Jesus. And he comes up to me because we just had a vision two week series and we're talking about resources and things and uh, update with the congregation. We want to maintain uh, transparency and things. And he comes up and goes, uh, Pastor, my wife and her her part of the estate is is coming in. I was going to direct it at your gym, but now I hear that there may be some needs in the general fund. Would that be Would that be a better place? To which I said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I think right now, Ivan, if the Lord leads you, that'd be that'd be awesome." And then he he looked me straight in the eye, Joel and Jack, and said, "You know what? There's no U-Haul behind the hearse." pastor no you he'd heard that somewhere you know and uh but he's got this joy and yeah. you, you can't get Ivan to shut up about like well, giving to the mission joy, of Jesus
3: yeah. that joy is what we call christian freedom mm-hmm. right amen and conversely if 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 financial anxiety is what's driving you all the time you could say that that is a form of bondage right and that sure. that is actually like a call for pastoral care Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands
2: of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. Yeah. Have you guys ever laughed so hard? I mean, like when you're in grade school at, at lunch, you spit milk out of your nose, right? You know, sure, yeah. Uh, when, when, when it says uh, God loves a cheerful giver, the cheerful word really is hilarity, a hilarious yeah. giver. Huh. When you can't give, you just laugh so hard. You can't. You're so much love giving, giving back to the Lord through, you know, through His people. The gifts of Him is always His people, right? And when you Uh, just can't give enough, and you can't, that's where the the God loves a cheerful giver, you know. And not that you should think about milk shooting out of your nose, but that is really the, uh, you know, the intent when when uh, that's written, because I think Paul wrote that, right? Um, and it's certainly the case, uh, you talk about your friend, Ivan, it sounds like he's a hilarious giver, Yeah, you know, living, yeah. that, living that joy. You just can't help, yeah. uh, have that belly laugh of joy.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true. So we're trying to engage people in a variety of different places and seasons of, of life. And I think the way the church kind of engages donors at, at different seasons, I, I really, I just was listening to a podcast recently about Gen Z Wanting to be, become more generous and wanting to learn our, the youngest generation uh, about biblical stewardship and, and maybe work toward the 80, 10, 10, live off 80, save 10, <coughs> give, give 10. That's a good early goal. And some people, this is a heart. This is a wild thing about being a, a pastor in a multi-generational church like we are. I'm speaking to folks that have never given to folks that are multi-millionaires who could give more than they actually live on. And communicating to these donors is is a different thing. There are some uh, principles that are unifying, but give us top three or so best practices of churches engaging with a variety of different donors in, in a winsome in a winsome way.
2: You know, that's a great question. I wrote an article actually for the Minnesota South District newsletter a couple of years ago, and I can give you five. Is that okay? <laughs> so, and these are just practical things that churches can do. You know, one of them is make sure, educate the congregation about the economics of the church. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how many people don't realize what the uh, utility bill is. You're in Arizona, so I'm sure you got a nice electrical bill every month, right? Yeah, and in Minnesota, we got bills.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You know, but, yeah. but, you
2: know, what are those? What are the benefits that, that, you know, What is what do benefits cost? I mean, holy cow, you know, health benefits. So, you know, the the, the pastor who spent, uh, you know, all day Saturday with you with a dying relative or friend or whatever. I mean, you know, what does it cost to have that person be able to do what they do? Uh, and and I think, you know, uh, a lot of churches and, and I'm one of the chiefest. I am the chief of center here. A lot of people don't go to the church. Uh, meetings and hear about the finances. They almost don't like to do that, but you can in a winsome way, you know, talk about, you know, what, you know, every dollar that comes into, how much goes to, you know, to, to our workers, probably about like 80% of your budget probably goes for workers. That's what we are people, you know, world. Uh, but I do think that education piece is huge done. So, you know, in a, you know, probably using infographics or, or quick, easy ways. Nobody reads long reports. But you know something. You know this is what this is what your dollar does for ministry. And I always say in ministry, the dollar accelerates faster and faster because of what it does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Let's pause on that one really quick, Jack. We're working right now on a vision-based budget and kind of communicating in a a winsome way to the wider family of ministries uh, here at Christ Greenfield. Talk about that vision-based budget, Jack.
3: Yeah, I mean the the vision-based budget means. Like if you actually create the simple pie chart that you're talking about, does it actually reflect the values of the congregation? If the congregation is missional, do we show that uh, um, a material amount of that resources is going to support mission? If we value the quality staff that's caring for people, you we know, well what what is that percentage that's going to staffing? If we care about. Being multi-generational, as an example, or do we show that our resources are going to support people across the generations, youth and our elderly and families with kids, right? So I think it's a great way when you you share a budget with people, you're not just sharing the financial condition, you're actually making an expression, you're drawing a line in the sand saying
1: this is what we value and we're inviting you to support these values. And that builds so much trust. At the end of yeah. the day, it's about trust with the donor, right? Um, say more there, Joel. Anything to add?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, when um, one of the key, you talk about uh, you know, value-based budgeting, right? Uh, obviously, I'm sure you have a strategic plan, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a strategic plan. And one of the things uh, that we use our strategic plan for in fundraising is the four magic words. And so we'll go to all kinds of people are large. You said you have, you know, maybe multimillionaires at your school at your church, but maybe, you know, just regular people too, whose whose opinion, you value, who you know are faithful uh, supporters, right? And maybe the widow's might, right. It's not about the amount it's about the, the sacrifice. And we, I take the strategic plan to a lot of people and I say, here's a strategic plan. What do you think the four magic words? What do you think? And mm-hmm. then as you may know, I talk a lot. So I sit back and I take my mouth shut and I listen <laughs> and you would be surprised when people, you ask people, what do you think about your vision? What do you think? And they share that with you. And you start you know, noodling on that a little bit, thinking, what, is, what does that mean? And if you start hearing same, similar messages and you start hearing messages that maybe you've never thought about before, uh, all of a sudden they become part of the, of the solution. They become part of the vision. They see themselves because they've been asked. Uh, and so I find it to be a very fruitful exercise uh, with our and we, we've been blessed with many, many donors uh, to ask him, what do you think? And, you know, and I, I talked to guy, okay, we're getting ready to start a middle school here next year. And that was in our strategic plan, one of our, our, our five major goals. And I asked a guy, uh, you know, what do you think about? This? And he goes, you know what? That middle school is necessary. I think it's great. I know you've got feeder schools that go to grade eight, but there's so many people who won't send their kid to a church school, but they will to a high school that has a middle school. And not only was he so excited about it, so I said to him, called him a little while later, I said, you know, you were really excited about the middle school. I go, would you be excited enough to give a $75,000 gift so we can get this started? And uh, <laughs> we can yeah. throw the ball out there, it hangs a long time in the right. air. And he came back and said, yeah, we can do that. We're excited. Mm-hmm. We can. But because I listened to him and I asked him, what do you think? It enabled him to connect, you know, his joy, his passion with our vision and we were able to get the, you know, some support to get our middle school, which Lord willing, next fall, we will open, you know, Mm, um, so fun. But that's, but that's tied into your vision. Right. And I always tell anybody, if you want to raise money, but you don't have a clear vision, it's pretty hard to ask, you know, uh, because people will say, what does my dollar really do? And that's my number two one is always tell mission. I know you guys do this, tell mission stories all the time, ministry stories all the time. Uh, you know about those those folks who uh, maybe not only have come to know Jesus, which are always exciting and great stories, but those whose faith has been grown and reinvigorated. You know, the spirit's always been in there, but you know something that happened, something that your church was able to do. Maybe they went on a mission trip reluctantly <laughs> and, and they mm-hmm. fell in love with the concept, right? Or maybe uh, they got involved with a you know maybe a men's group or some other group, kind of reluctantly, and all of a sudden they just fall in love with it and You see the gospel grow and see lives change, you know. I think that ministry stories are just great, great opportunities.
1: I don't think, I I love that. I don't think that churches can tell enough stories. We're a storied people. And I don't think, I think most churches, well, I'm going to draw a general statement here. Just do an audit of how many testimonies, formal, informal, for, and I'm talking more formal, Sunday, it could be a video or someone standing up, take an audit of how many how many testimonies you, as a, as a leader, allowed into uh, the Word and Sacrament time. This is word work. This is the word at work, the, the testimony of people whose lives have been transformed. And it doesn't necessarily have to be their joy in giving, just the joy of being a follower of Jesus. That inspires people to, to give my general, I'd love to get your take on this too, Jack. My general sense in churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod was that if we did an audit, it would be less than five a year and five may even be generous. Um, and I think there's major opportunity for All growth right. here. Anything to add to the necessity of testimonies, Jack?
2: Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
3: No, I I entirely agree. And I think, you know, a great example of the testimonies is just reading the book of Acts, right? Right. Think about how inspiring Mm -hmm. those stories are for us. We have it in scripture because of everything that happened in the early church and what the Holy spirit was doing in there, such a powerful story of transformation and that we, that we're telling these stories 2000 years later. And at the same time, there's also those very same stories that are happening right now in the church. And we really need to document that and archive that and, keep and preserve that for posterity and just be able to, to share those stories over and over again. I know Michael told a very uh, powerful story when he was preaching about uh, Harvest Festival in his old church where mm-hmm. um, the only association that this this family had was that they had attended the church's Harvest Fest. But when she found herself in trouble, she needed help from a church. And that's the only church that they knew of because they went to the Harvest Fest and it turned out to be a powerful yeah. Pastoral moment because the child had a terminal illness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah, so I, I uh, agree with you guys. You,
2: you know, we're not a big testimony church, right? I mean, yeah. you know, Missouri Senate is, is, you know, a lot of other church bodies have a different approach, right? We're not big into the testimony on Sunday morning, which, you know, it's okay. It's actually it's just fine with me. However, those stories can be shared in a thousand ways, That's you right. know, and, uh, you know, having your podcast, for example, is one of those great ways to help share stories of, And and I always tell people, you talk about the Acts, you know, Acts has the great blessing of the gospel, right? It just oozes Mm -hmm. through But you also have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, if you remember that. (laughs) That's true, (laughs) I do. (laughs) There is law and gospel. i would make that a sermon. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. But, you know, I I do think that, you know, these, these stories in real life stories, and certainly it's easier in schools, you know, when you make a difference in a kid's life who was just going nowhere, and they came to your Christian school, your Lutheran school in our case, and, and they find out that there's a joy under the gospel when you don't have to do anything, when you get to do these things because of the, what Christ has already done for us. Uh, and uh, kids are freed. Teenagers are just freed when they, they can come out of a, a, a life of rules and live <clears throat> that, that freedom of the gospel. Which is not to say teenagers don't have to be, you know, have guidelines. They certainly do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the reality of it is um, that makes a difference to our, especially our families. A third of our kids this year, new kids, have like no Lutheran school, no Christian school background, uh, nothing. Mm-hmm. And when they come in and hear this, they're stunned, some of them. You yeah. know, and you tell those stories to people. Why is my dollar, why should I give you a dollar, Joel? Why should that work at there? Well, you know, don't give it to me. But let me tell you about this kid who Dow loves Jesus. Actually, you know, went into church work or something like that because they heard what the gospel is all about in the truest, sweetest sense. And um, and those stories, you're right, they absolutely pay off. I think we need to do that more and more. Um, you know, it's always some dicey, of, the, of course. Some of the powerful oh, stories, oh, like
3: boy. even tied to our preschool, we we hear stories that families. Are Like these little preschool kids are evangelists to their families. They'll say, hey, (laughs) we should pray for our meal like this. They they never even thought of doing that before. And the influence that these little preschool kids are having, they're bringing their parents to church because they've got chapel services and they want to go see what's happening in the kids' chapel services. And this may be the first time they ever go to church. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: We just built you know, a gym, you know what, too. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, Joel. Yeah, no, no, no. We just built a gym, and our rallying cry for generosity, uh, build the gym was actually the the campaign, and then mm-hmm. do it for the kids. Do it for the kids. There's something the kids. about yeah. the <laughs> older generation we need to pass down. There's something ingrained yeah. in us. We need yeah. to pass down the gospel to the next generation. So you have educate the church on, communicate the church finances to the mm-hmm. donor, tell mission stories. You got three more, and I, I'd love I, yeah. you can do five. It's all good. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I love living under the freedom of the gospel, right? (laughs) Uh, right.
2: (laughs) You know, the third one is maintain accurate records. And and I'll tell you, this is just good business, right? Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it's good ministry. And so one of my favorite records is called the Liebunt. Have you ever heard of Lie Last year, but not this year. So Mm -hmm. organizations, if you have some kind of software where you can manage, you know, the giving, and you should because people need tax receipts and so on and so forth. Um, but last year, but not year. This year is just a report that you know who gave who gave say two years ago, but didn't give last year. And let's find out why they didn't give. You know, maybe they passed away. That's why they're not on there. Maybe they moved mm-hmm. out of town. But a lot of times uh, on the ministry side, good record keeping can say you know Pete used to be a generous giver, and he hasn't given in the last two years. What's going on with Pete? Mm-hmm.
0: somebody go talk I to know. Pete,
2: and don't talk to him. Hey, we want your money. Is there something going on? You've always been so generous and regular, and we noticed that stopped. And sometimes people will actually tell these stories. I stopped giving. Nobody seemed to care. Mm -hmm. And the ministry piece is, is there something going on that we can help you with? And maybe Pete's had some significant financial setbacks. Maybe some things have happened. But how would anybody know? Nobody's going to broadcast that about themselves on Facebook, I don't think. Uh, And so good record keeping does uh, equate to good ministry as well. And, and along with that, number four is um, the concept of gratitude. Um, I think one of the great things that the gospel drives us to do, and frankly, I'm always kind of disappointed, is that people have forgotten how to say thank you. Uh, you know, I'll just give you an example at Mary Lutheran. Mary Lutheran, we give out about uh, 100 financial aid awards every year. We get maybe 10 thank you cards for it. So we give out almost $350,000 of other people's money, of gifts, right, for our, our financial aid. And maybe we get 10 cards of, of gratitude. And frankly, I never sent Concordia Seward a card of thanks for the financial aid they gave me. So I'm cheap as sinners on this one, right? But um, uh, I think, and this is hard for the pastor. And this is where it's easier, like in a school, like in my position, because they expect me, A, they expect me to ask for money. And B, they expect me to thank them for those gifts, right? But you know, I always think when you get your your giving report in the mail from your church, has anybody ever just written a note on it said, hey, thanks, Pete, for your, your thoughtfulness this year, or included, just dropped in a, one of your ministry moments, how, the, how those dollars really made the difference. Uh, in the fundraising world, it's proven to be pretty successful that when somebody gives a gift and they get a phone call thanking them for that gift, whether it's 10 bucks or a million bucks. They're likely to give the gift again next year. The, the, the easiest way to have uh, recurring giving is regular personal thanks. Now, that can be really tough if you're the United way, right? You know, mm-hmm. With millions of people, I don't think the CEO is going to call them on the phone, but uh, certainly a team can do that. And mm-hmm. um, and and churches are a little dicier again because everybody knows everybody, and they kind of always worry they're going to know their business too much. But if, uh, you know, if there was a, even just a team that just called and said, you know, thank you for the gift that you thank you for your support this year at, uh, at, our, at our church at Riverside. Right. Or thank you for, um, you know, what you did for. They don't have to know how much it is. In fact, you don't you don't even tell the, the callers how much it was. It doesn't make any difference how much it was. Uh, but we do know that that gratitude in tangible ways does lead to continual giving uh, and oftentimes a growth in giving as well. And, and again, it's work and it's got to be organized by somebody, but it's, a, it is, it could be a volunteer position, perhaps when people know, nobody knows their exact details, but just that we're just grateful because we know you support our ministry.
1: I'm just thinking right now about how, and Jack, you can give the the numbers uh, for scale, but we have a lot of donors, like how mm-hmm. could I personally write a note on 600, 800, to, to, to 12. I don't know how many cards that go out as our team, but I'm serious about this. That personal, t- even though I wrote the the letter, even though I had the yay God stories, uh, that personal touch can go, uh, a long way. We're starting to, from a, from a gratitude perspective and a relationship building perspective. Um, I'm, I'm starting to have a rhythm of just engaging with donors, uh, personally, uh, and they, they happen to be maybe the top 75, top 100 or so that are, you know, giving it a certain level. But like, how could that be stretched? Because everybody's gift, first time recurring mm-hmm. and those that are kind of the legacy givers uh, of our, everybody matters. And the, from the widow's mite to those that are given millions, you know, mm-hmm. everybody matters. So it's a really good charge to express gratitude in a in a really, really tangible way for folks, because that does inspire generosity. Jack, are you trying to help me figure this out? How can I get better at this, man? <laughs> well,
3: we actually decided How many hours for, do you have in your day. <laughs>
1: yeah, we actually
3: decided for our our new givers we're actually having a um a message that goes out from Joy, our business manager because it makes sense to people that they would get like that the that the finance people would see the gift coming in. They might not immediately think that the pastor seeing every single gift that's coming in so we actually decided like for those types of gifts unless it's like something really like whoa that's a crazy gift then obviously we would pull tim into it but for our regular uh first time gifts we're sending out a video uh from joy thanking them personally for for uh, beginning their gifts that's great um yeah your your strategy what, what was that acronym again last year but not this year
2: i think yeah, that last was, year but not this year
3: we call the line laundry part I think that's probably one of the biggest lapses that haps in the, happens in the church. And I know we've talked at great length about that, and I don't know how well we could say that we've executed on that particular strategy. As, and I don't know that any church has done an amazing job on that. But the key thing that I do know is that you can't just go in there and saying, how come he didn't give? It's really more of when you're trying to reach out to these families, it's trying to understand what's going on in their life. And there well, may it is. Be, it is it yeah. It's a you pastoral ahead, care
1: concern. It's a pastoral mm-hmm. care concern for sure. Right. Uh, so what do you say to the pastor? I've heard lots of opinions here. I'm sure you you know, what is coming right now. I don't want to know what people give, who gives that would really, really hamper, you know, maybe in the good intent is I could start to f- have favorit favoritism kind of come in terms of how I yeah. care for the flock. And so what words of wisdom do you give for a pastor in the level of knowledge they have around uh, donor gifts.
3: Do you want to dig deeper in your study of Reformed theology? The All of Life for God podcast, presented by Reformation Heritage Books, offers you weekly sermons, audiobook chapters, and interviews that will help strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, what are you waiting for? Just search All of Life for God wherever you get your podcast
2: and start listening today.
0: Presented by Reformation Heritage Books.
2: Yeah, you know, Tim, and that, yeah, you're you're very uh, prescient on that because that is a tough thing for Pat. If I was a pastor, I don't know if I'd want to know either. Frankly, I mean, and again, again I have a different position at the head of a of independent high school here. Um, you know, more congregations. And I don't know if you, I don't know what your whole staff looks like, but I've seen a growing number of positions called Minister of Generosity. Or you mm-hmm. case you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. or minister of, of something, or, or, you know, have a position. So you have kind of a fundraiser on your, you know, at your church, but they're not the pastor. And everybody knows that when, when you know, fundraiser joy comes in here it gives you a call, there's going to be some talk about a gift. It's not fair for the pastor to be, be in that position. And I think about those churches where you only have a single pastor, I mean, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, how's that going to work? And if if you have a single pastor in a small church, people are very skeptical about who knows what. Right. I mean, I don't know if you guys do it, but I've been here. I moved here in Carver County, Minnesota. It's pretty traditional Lutheran County, a lot of Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran churches. I was at a church for a church meeting, gave a report on Lutheran High, It's kind of a 10 minute thing. And I was sitting there and they handed me this piece of paper. It was actually a book and it had what everybody had given last year. I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but in the old days, Lutheran churches, yeah, used yeah they call it the scandal sheet, but for sure, <laughs> but the idea was, you know, everybody knew what everybody gave because everybody had a pitch in, especially, you know, those smaller, maybe more rural congregations or maybe less affluent, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they did that. And before I could even open it up, another guy reached over the pew, grabbed it out of my hand, and he says, I know what you're going to use this for. You can't have this. <laughs> wow. I uh, don't think No, know they don't have it. In fact, I don't think any of our churches have it anymore. But a generation or two ago, it was very common that uh, they would publish what everybody gave. Wow. Uh, and now you could ask, is that gospel oriented or law oriented? I don't think it's as, as simple as it sounds, um, but certainly people know, you know, people knew what everybody gave and um, yeah,
3: I suppose no, it I, 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 I don't know what to think about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I know what to that think about. I don't me... like it. But no. Yeah. That would make me <laughs> you know. uncomfortable. I, I think uh, even churches that maybe publish my first congregation, this is the second congregation I've served at, first congregation. Would week in and week out kind of publish uh, how much was given that day? We we have I don't know if we've ever done that at Christ Greenfield, um, but we certainly Long wouldn't do time it today. Ago. We
3: used to give yeah. like this was with the last month or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know a quarterly report maybe a longer range mm-hmm. report and kind of trends. I think is what we're more leaning into and um, and just inviting inviting folks to be generous around around that because it can create I don't know. I think we got to, I think we ought to communicate, but I don't think it needs to be, we should not break confidentiality and I don't think it needs to be weekly. Sometimes right, just you,
3: throwing a stat out there stat, yeah, all kinds of speculation around the topic. Right. And
1: that, your tension yeah. is transparency versus
2: right. sending the message that you want to send. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, some people, a lot of churches still in their weekly bulletin have the last week's giving, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you know, Okay, that's great. People kind of get used to it. But what if you're a visitor? What if you're a guest? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you when you see it? Does it mean anything? Maybe not. Maybe it means something. Uh, or what if you're a guest and they see that you're behind every week? <laughs> you know, yeah. don't, they'll even put the deficit, you know. On it. Right. Um, you know, deficits don't touch people's hearts. Again, generosity and surplus mm-hmm. touch people's hearts, right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I know a lot of churches, they still do this for the transparency piece, but they do it in their, like, maybe their quarterly... You know whatever they do, or a voters
3: meeting or something
2: like that. Yes, because yeah. you do have to do that. Transparency is a right. huge. By the way, if you want to raise money, you better have a, a strong amount of trust that the dollar is going to be handled appropriately and within you know accepted principles of money management. You, you want to lose a, you want a quick way to lose the donors is scandal, right? It's one of the and- things I did
3: in the early days of taking when I was initially the business manager of Christ Greenfield is I I really, really wanted to press the concept of transparency. And so I set up like a cloud folder, like a Dropbox folder and said, look, (laughs) every single month I'm gonna put our financials in there. It's gonna be put in there and anybody who wants to see it can see this link. They can look at every single financial statement that I'm publishing every single month. And you can get like real time access to this kind of stuff. I want you to be able to see it without any restrictions. Of course, I didn't put any like confidential, you know, HR stuff in there, but they could see month to month how we were doing. They could always reach out to me and
1: ask me any questions. So this is so good. I love these five best practices. Educate the church. So clear communication plan. Second, tell mission stories, testimonies. You can do that in a variety of ways. Sunday and between Sundays. Uh, accurate records and the Libent report. I think that's what you called it last year, but not this year. Who who stopped giving? Find out why. That's an opportunity for pastoral care. Gratitude insofar as you can engage a team to be grateful for all that God's people have given. And the fifth one is, drum roll, Joel?
2: It is. Work on estate planning. (laughs)
1: There
2: you go. I love it. You know, uh, (laughs) I I will tell you what, in the fundraising world, we've just come out of one of the more difficult generations of fundraising, and that's the greatest generation. Uh, The baby boomers and the other, and by the way, the greatest generation has been very generous, but they're not as large in numbers. The baby boomers, of which I am, you guys, you young pups, I probably would have taught you when I was a teacher, right?
0: (laughs) But baby boomers like
2: me, I was born in 1960. Yes, it's hard to believe. Uh, In 1960, uh, baby boomers are are a lot of people, and they have still kind of a traditional understanding of philanthropy. They're generous. Uh, You know, like you mentioned earlier, Gen Zers have a different view. We don't know where they are, although they seem to be trending towards being interested in being generous.
0: You know, very much so.
2: Gen Xers, maybe not so. They like to give to a particular project, but not to organizations that need their regular recurring gifts like churches or or you know, Maybe not as much class. institutional loyalty. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And we also see this. As frankly, again, as a as a long time LMS die in the wool LCMS guy, uh, I'm a page five fifteen guy, right? Everybody knows what that means, <laughs> right? The reality of it is, um, you know, denominational loyalty is declining significantly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a Lutheran a lot of Lutheran schools no longer have a large percentages of. Uh, they're denominational people, whether it's a Baptist school or a Lutheran school or whatever. Um, and so the reality of it is, but the the baby boomers are, are golden and uh, they need estate plans. And so we've been blessed in the Missouri Synod with the LCMS Foundation. They'll come out and work with anybody to help them put their estate plan together. That includes generosity. And of course, we always say philanthropy will solve many of your tax problems in your estate plan. So my wife and I just... Redid our plan. We have been blessed with four kids, and um, we are giving. Um, you now that'll I don't. Know, I can say the amount, but it'll probably probably be about eighty to ninety thousand dollars right now to our two favorite chari- Lutheran uh, charities, two ministries. And um, our kids will actually get more money if we both died today. They would get more money than if we didn't do that, because it would it would create tax liability for them. Now, I'm way out of my league if I say anything more about estate planning, right? That's where you want to have, a, have an expert. But uh, when you think of all of those, those especially the baby boomers, I mean, that's a lot of potential. It's trillions of dollars sitting there. And uh, too, too many churches and other organizations, for that matter, don't do a really strong job at promoting that. Uh, because it's a blessing when you can have your ducks in a row and have your estate in a row and take care of your favorite charities. Uh, yeah. with that. Yeah. So that's the fifth one is to really to emphasize that. And again, you know, to use the word winsome. Uh, certainly, we want to do that in a way that uh, creates joy. And again, stories from that. Um, I don't know how many Lutheran organizations that I know of uh, who haven't done great things because somewhere along the way, they got a nice estate gift. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a kind of our rule at Mayor Lutheran is all estate gifts are invested. They're not used in operations. And mm-hmm. so we invested either oh. in, uh, in an endowment, and uh, we'll talk about that maybe, uh, or uh, in building, which is an investment. And so uh, that's always our rule with that because if you start spending estate gifts to keep but a place high. Yeah, right. <laughs> or not yeah, recurring when, in the way that you want to be recurring. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And when the last baby boomer, you know, has their, has their funeral, uh, then what are you yeah. going to do? Right. Right. And so, so it's, it's a discipline piece, but it's also a, a planning piece. And frankly, it's a prayerful piece first and foremost. Mm. So those are the it. five.
1: I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Uh, let's dig into endowment. How does a, How does a ministry, you know, not-for-profit, and I think we got to differentiate churches maybe from schools here, uh, higher ed and things, but how does a ministry discern, like, when they need to pull the trigger on putting together an endowment? And we've, you know, this is a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, Lots of guests are from our our wonderful denomination. So, the Lutheran Foundation gives wonderful guidance uh, toward this end. We've been engaged with them now for some time. Any other words of wisdom, though, in terms of knowing when you need an endowment joel
2: yeah well i think you need the endowment if you look around and your church or your school is looking a little raggy uh what happens in a lot of capital campaigns is people build but they don't plan Hmm. so uh we just built a large field house here at mayor a couple years ago but we planned for it with an endowment a maintenance endowment Hmm. that it isn't large enough yet but it's enough to spit out a few dollars every year to help us maintain this this monstrosity and, and I think the, you look around, as a friend of mine told me a long time ago, when you look around and you say, wow, this place is looking tired and worn, and we don't know how we're going to find the funds to fix it, that's probably a good time to start your endowment. Uh, one of the things we're always careful with in congregations, of course, and you hear this all the time, an endowment shows a lack of trust in God.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I've heard that
2: before from from places. You have an endowment now. You're living on your endowment now. People don't think they have to give as much now. The endowment becomes your god and all that. Well, I don't agree with that, obviously. Uh, where I lived in Indiana in Seymour, Indiana is a unique uh, state. The Lilly Foundation gives tons of money for nonprofits and especially churches to start endowments. So I was in Seymour, Indiana. I think every church down there had an endowment because mm-hmm. of the vision of the Lilly Foundation. Uh, who, you know, supports churches and so forth. Um, but that's the time to do it. The problem you got to be careful with, of course, with endowments is you can lock up so much money that you don't have any money to, to feed your workers. Right. Um, and so the, the, the challenge there is to do it and it, it is to plan really it's just part of your planning process. Um, but
3: It's like uh, <laughs> setting certain uh, vision and
2: boundaries on what the, what the endowment's for and what it's not for. Exactly right. Uh, now, we've been blessed with a culture at Mayor Lutheran. Our donors in their estate plans are usually giving us unrestricted gifts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's one of the things I always encourage anybody. You know, if you give a gift, make it unrestricted. Trust the people who are running the ministry that they'll be able to put it in the best use. And we've been blessed with that culture. It is a culture piece. It takes a long time to work that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality of it is if you get too many, and you may have seen this before, you know, you get, you get too many restricted gifts from estates and you can't use them. You know, right. I want a t- new typewriter room for Luther and I. There's right. <laughs> a million dollars. I want <laughs> do a specific do, color
3: know? of carpet to be put in <laughs> in a room that doesn't exist anymore.
2: <laughs> yes, right, right, right. You know, right. Or, yeah. It's all it's all <laughs> of those things. We want new overhead projectors for all the classrooms, right? Yeah. Um. And, and so and so that's a piece as well. And and the trick always is, and this is where it's helpful to have a you know somebody who just kind of does this. As part of the church uh, organization, to help kind of guide people to what's needed best uh, for the long-term interest. And again, schools are easy because our endowments mostly a lot of them go for financial aid, and we always need that. That Mm -hmm. always ends up in the operating budget. But um, uh, yeah, so when do you start a budget? I would say, or start an endowment? I would say you know as soon as you can.
0: Yeah. And the, the, the
2: LCMS Foundation is golden. in our our church body to help us understand how that works, how to best set them up and and have policies. And the other thing is, too, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can find sister churches everywhere that have them do them well. And again, you don't have to reinvent all that.
1: Um, One of the awesome opportunities right now, Joel, is to help the congregation with estate planning. And uh, to find your local lawyer who works on wills and trusts and things, we happen to have one on our board uh, and she does it most uh, very inexpensively and, and yeah. things. And so to offer that for, for folks and that's a great time then to bring up uh, the endowment opportunity too, as folks put together their estate plan, because it's a we, the church should be a place that offers gifts to people, meets Mm -hmm. felt needs, and putting together uh, an estate plan with the uh, dearth. We don't have hardly a very small percentage. I forget what the numbers are people that actually have an active will and trust. I mean, it's like 15 to 20%. And a lot of our folks that are nearing, nearing retirement don't have that done. Like this should be a major gift that the church can bring to his or her members. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely.
2: uh, And I I know that, you know, I I know your. I don't know who your local LCMS Foundation person is, but I know if you want to make their day, you give them a call and say, listen, we want you to come out and do a presentation. They love this stuff because that's their job. And um, and, and it is, you're right, it's such a small number that have got their ducks in a row for the future. And this is an issue of stewardship, too. You know, the future, what the Lord's given to you. You know, and and we live in Minnesota here. Of course, the greatest uh, story, you want a story about uh, estate planning, how not to do it is our good buddy Prince. Right. When Prince died a few years ago, he did not have a will. Hmm. And it was it was a conundrum. And of course, okay, Prince has quite the quite the holdings and and resources. And actually, he was he was Jehovah's Witness. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't know if he gave anything to his church or not at all in his will because he didn't have a will.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: And so, yeah. um, you know, that's that's probably one of those great. And we use that line all the time. You guys know what happened to Prince, right? Well, you don't want to be stuck like Prince. You got to get your will done. You got to get your estate <laughs> done. And, and like we always like this. And a rule of thumb is uh, so so. Let me ask you, Tim. I'll put you on the spot. You got kids? Oh yeah. Yeah, how many kids do you have?
1: Teenagers. Okay. Three teenagers. Oh, my gosh. You don't have a gray
2: yeah. hair. What's going on with
0: yeah.
1: you? <laughs> I'm on the way, baby. time.
2: <laughs> well, anyway, here's what I would say. Say, Tim, and Tim, what's your wife's name? Alexa. Okay, so Tim and Alexa, here's what I, 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 you, you should consider. You got to get your estate plan together. You have three awesome kids. Pretend you have four and make the fourth the kingdom of the Lord. Your church, mm-hmm. you can, your, your college, Christian college. Yeah, you know, Lutheran hour, whatever, make that your fourth. And it's a nice little rule of thumb and it works really well for a lot of people, you know, and, mm. and typically That's your three, will, about it. yeah. And, and your, your third, your three kids will actually come out just as well, if not better because you had that heart of, of giving and generosity when you did your estate planning. And it's a nice little, it's a nice little rule of thumb and it works for a lot of people. And my wife and myself, same way.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. This has been so fun. I shout out to Brian Hyde and uh, he is our, our representative for the uh, Lutheran Foundation working Great. with us and many churches here in the Pacific Southwest District. Uh, so hit them up maybe or, or hit up Mr. Lance Craner. Um, we're coming down the home stretch. I just would love to know next to the word of God, brother, uh, mm-hmm. what are some good resources for pastors and leaders looking to shape a, a heart of generosity, a culture of generosity in their respective ministry?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I I will tell you what, there's just, there's so many good places. I almost, you almost have to Google Christian stewardship, but I did ask some friends uh, for some help and uh, I'm going to find them here, right here. Oh yeah, there we go. So there's a group that's, I find uh, very useful. I just got turned on to them the other day. They're out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it's called the, uh, the Timothy group. And it's a, it's, you know, there's a zillion fundraising companies and so forth. And there's, you know, um, millions of Christian, Christ, you know, religious based, uh, but I found the Timothy group out of Grand Rapids to be very interesting. They have a blog, they have lots of materials, lots of information, and they're biblically centered and, and, and Christian based. Hmm. I will tell you as well. So that's a group, um, what your donors, here's a, a great book, what your donors want and why. And I forget their first name, but Ahern, A H E A H E R N, Ahern. Love that. What your donors want and why. And um, then there's another guy. He's like the dean of fundraising. Uh, and th- we used to have an organization called the Association of Lutheran Development Executives, ALDI. And now it's changed. It's become more pan-Christian, I believe. It's changed its name. But I heard this guy back in 2000. His name was Jerry Panis. And in the fundraising, especially old fundraisers like me, this guy was like, you know, he was the it. And he has a couple of books. One's called Asking. Hmm. And uh, just a word, asking. And PAN is P-A-N-A-S. And the other is Building the Case. Uh, and, and in fundraising, Building the Case, why are you doing this? What's it going to turn out at the end? Uh, I have a friend who, again, was a fundraiser for a large hospital and uh, when you when talk to people, he would say to them, you know what? If we don't raise a million dollars, three three kids are going to die. Mm. Whoa. Because <laughs> they needed whatever the, you know, whatever with would nick you yeah. or whatever they were working on. Uh, and having that case that's really clear on why you're doing it and what the results are going to be, uh, it, it, it's an art. And before you can ask anybody <laughs> for, opinion, you got to know that case, you just built a gym. And I think you knew your case right away. Yep. <laughs> let's, yeah. build a, yeah. let's build yeah. a gym, right?
0: Do it for kids.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, Joe, I use and,
2: that, uh, it, Go
1: it's ahead. It's really good. So
2: those are those are a couple. I would share with you too. Uh, the Church Extension Lutheran Church Extension Fund mm-hmm. has a uh, a relatively affordable uh, fundraising group, and I've used them a couple of times uh, and for, with great success. Uh, yes. So as a resource, um, uh, that would be uh, that would be a good group to go to as well. Um, And outside of that, boy, I'll tell you what, if you went to any Christian bookstore or went online to any Christian bookstore and you and you, you know, you searched for, uh, you know, biblically centered fundraising, you're going to find a lot of great books. And and at the heart, every one of them is going to point out, you got to come back to scripture. You got to do what's God pleasing, understand what that means
1: and communicate it clearly. Amen. Hey, this has been so much fun. Uh, there's only one Joel Landscraner, and I finally got it. So much fun hanging out with you today. Last, last I said there was a, a last question. I got one more. We got to bring the tie back, Joel. I mean, that is a uh, yes. rocking. For well, those of you You're who are rocking not that thing, man. Yeah, not watching. Go to YouTube. Check yeah. out Mister Landscraner's uh, tie. How did you fall in love with ties? We got to bring them back. It has to
2: do with kids. It has to. So my wife's an organist. So I would sit with our four kids on Sunday morning in church. And sure enough, one would puke on my tie, right? I'm an old school guy. I wear a tie to church. I'm an old school. And you can't clean a tie, right? I can puke on a cotton shirt. I can clean a cotton shirt. It's out of the danger zone. It is. It is. So we all have them. We all know it. And so I thought I can clean a shirt. And then I saw a doctor. One of our kids uh, had a a hole in his heart when he was born. So we went to Johns Hopkins Hospital. And the, the doctor was a British older grandfatherly guy and he had a bow tie and I'm sitting there I'm thinking that guy is not only giving us good news on our son, he is rocking a great tie. And from that <laughs> time on, I start wearing bow ties and it's become my kind of what I do at, at Merrill Lutheran. And when I meet somebody at a restaurant, it's so nice. You don't know me, but I'll be wearing a bow tie. All of a sudden, instant comfort, you know. So, that,
0: that's
2: it. you guys could start that. You can start that in Arizona. I'm sure ties are just fine in the we desert. Got to make
1: it great again. <laughs> yeah, let's bring the bow tie back. Make it great again for sure. Uh, I'm that's actually okay. going to be rocking a bow tie, a red bow tie for Reformation Sunday uh, coming Ooh, up. Like so it. this is this is probably coming out after Reformation, but we're actually using it as a communication handle uh, <laughs> to tell the the narrative of Scripture, uh, the five, right. the six acts of. of of scripture so it's so much fun to be with you today joel if you people too. wanted to connect with you how can they do so brother
2: you know uh probably my email is the best and uh, unfortunately it's a long one landscraner, right l-a-n-d-s-k-r-o-e-n-e-r at mayorlutheran.org yeah yeah and so uh, much. or if you just went to mayor lutheran's website mayorlutheran.org you could connect with me there as well
1: so good. Uh, this is lead time. Please like, subscribe, comment, share. Please share uh, with a brother pastor and the ministry. These are volatile times right now. The world is a, is a wild place and the Lord owns it all. And so we're not leading out of fear, but great faith and trust and hope in all that Jesus has for us as his people. And so share this with a pastor or a leader who needs to be encouraged to take that next step to steward well the people of God that, that he or, or she as a female leader in the church too has been given because man, uh, we need more courage to have these sorts of conversations and the wisdom that you have dropped with us today has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lead Time. You rock, Joel and Jack. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so much, Thank brothers. you. Thank you guys, appreciated. Bless. Blessings to you. Yeah. You
0: too. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC's mission is to collaborate with the local church to discover, develop, and deploy leaders through biblical Lutheran doctrine and innovative methods. To partner with us in this gospel message, subscribe to our channel, then go to the uniteleadership.org to create your free login for exclusive material and resources, and then to explore ways in which you can sponsor an episode. Thanks for listening and Stay tuned.